0: I remember once we were just warming up and this lad beside me had yeah dreadlocks, you know, and I didn't know who he was because I was just a kid and I just landed over in this country. I didn't know any of the players, really. I knew Ronald Koeman, he was there. Wow. But this fella had dreadlocks beside me and I was like, why aren't you involved? He's like, ah, they want me to go. They don't, they don't want me here anymore. Where are you going? Well, I don't know, maybe Celtic, you know. Anyway, that turned out to be Henrik Larsson.
1: You are listening to House of Football, brought to you by Sports Joe and William Hill.
2: Hello, I'm Eric Lawler. Welcome to House of Football with Sports Joe and William Hill. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined in studio once again by Sligo's finest, the man, the myth, the legend, that is Mr. Alan Cawley. And also later in the show, we'll be joined by former Republic of Ireland striker David Connolly. I cannot wait. Al. You're back.
1: How are you, Eric? Good to see you. Yeah, I'm you glad to it. be back as well. Yeah, I'm I'm comfy in this chair. Yeah, it is. It
2: suits you. It really does. Yeah, yeah. I think it does. Yeah, I think so. the, the background it, it brings out your cheekbones, doesn't it, jazzed? Yeah, it really well, does. Well,
1: I got good yeah. feedback on the videos last week. I have to say. Yeah. Saying yeah, we didn't realise you were as as handsome. Well, yeah. I no, let you say that. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no filter use or nothing. <laughs> like that. <you. laughs> filters are mad things. Aren't yeah, they? Yeah, like yeah, Filters <laughs> nowadays <is> and all. You
2: just can't believe anything you see online anymore. But Al, come here. I want mean, to talk to you about this being probably one of your favourite times of the year because a certain sporting event has begun in Sheffield
1: yeah not many people well well maybe people might know but uh, snooker was my first love Eric yeah oh really no I didn't know snooker. that yeah snooker was my first love did you have a misspent youth? yeah hanging around the snooker halls yeah really and the reason being because my dad used to run the snooker hall ah stop yeah so we used to have two tables in a place called the CYMS the Catholic Young Men Society yeah. which was down the bottom of the town hall in Sligo Town um, and he was he was always brought up around the snooker pool scene which was obviously uh, very popular back in yeah. his day when he was kind of growing up and the older he got then he was trying to just give back a little bit I suppose and a place to get young lads in off the street mm-hmm. Um and that was oh, yeah.
2: the that was the golden era of snooker as well. Like, you know, the seventies, eighties. It was
1: like we all remember that nineteen eighty five final. Well,
3: those was old enough to remember
2: it. We're uh, the nineteen eighty five final, Dennis Taylor, and it was the match finished at like half two in the yeah. morning or whatever. But anyway, um, who's going to win this year's World Snooker Championship?
1: Mark Allen. I've tipped. I've been over from four, Belfast. F- I've been over four or five times, Eric. If you ever get the chance, the Crucible. Yeah, and obviously football is me number one. But in terms of something that I love, as I said, I've I've been over to the World Championships. And I often say it to people that it's the best sporting event I've been at, and people look at me as if I have three heads. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing, honestly, and it's only one of those things that if you ever get the chance to go to and attend, yeah. that you'll probably look back and say, "Remember that lad that, that said that that it's a great place to be? It's incredible. It's just so intimate and um, the you drama. Get, you can hear a that. pin drop. in yeah, yeah. a Small little arena. People think on the television as if there's two or three thousand people. It's only a small little theater. I think it holds nine hundred people. Okay. When you bring down the partition in the Middle, it makes it even yeah, smaller yeah, again. Yeah.
2: And you have the one table uh, scenario up, up well from the semi's, Just an it? amazing yeah. place. Um, now I'm going to bring it, bring it back to your second love, okay? Uh, football, uh, because at the end of the day, this is a football podcast. We I'll we'll tell you what. We'll try and get an old Snooker podcast going as well. I'll be yep. bringing in for that as well. Okay, <laughs> the house of Snooker. Okay. <laughs> 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 but for now, I'll. Uh, so, the football that was in the uh, the weekend that just passed, a lot of football's happened, both the League of Ireland and the Premier League. If you just touch off the, the League of Ireland uh, to start off, we were both at the game uh, in Dalymount Park, mm-hmm. uh, Bows the early pace setters in the league against St. Patrick's Athletic. Um, Pats won 3 2. A highly entertaining game. Um one of my favorite moments I have to say in all in, in in a long time in the League of Ireland is you know this little Dublin bus thing mm. that Bowers have and they had the remote control uh, bus to bring out the ball but the referee wouldn't put the ball in the thing to be brought out so so whoever was controlling the bus deliberately steered it into his ankles and took it I know out. who
1: was controlling it because it was it? right in front of me Was that PJ? No one of the players No way one of the players I can Sunday I turn Yeah and that's why John
2: Flores got a red card,
1: I reckon. There you go. <laughs> they, they, they annoyed him for a minute. Yeah. One, they drove up to the back, the back heels of Paul McLaughlin. And uh, yeah, needless to say, he went on to have a, a questionable night, shall we say. Not just around the red card. I thought his performance overall um, for both teams. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously a topic of conversation coming off the back of Damien Duff's comments last week. And I would agree wholeheartedly with that, Derek. I just don't think the level of refereeing currently in the league is at the standard that's required to Mm -hmm. be honest with you for elite level football and I don't want to go too heavy in terms of the criticism because I've said it many times about it but I think it's at the point where the relationship is so broken between players and staff and referees that somebody needs to get be a leader on this and come together and try and bring because we need the referees for the games to go ahead obviously at, at all levels I don't agree with the stuff where referees are going out at grassroots level or junior football and being attacked and abused there's no place whatsoever for that but in terms of us focusing on the professional side of things at League of Ireland level I do think the standard needs to be better And if the relationship is broken, which I'm convinced it is, between all parties, somebody has to take the lead on this and try and bring them together for the benefit and for the the bigger picture in terms of the league to to flourish. Because we all know about the ticket sales and the hype and the exposure. Everything's on the up. Everything's on the up. And we want to bring the referees with us as well. Um, so it, in, in terms of the, the league itself Al uh, Bowes uh,
2: surprise early leaders let's be honest um, beaten by Pats at the end uh, 10 men played most of the game with 10 men Jordan Flores sent off just before half time uh, but when you look at the league as a whole everyone's beating everyone even mm-hmm. Rovers like you thought oh here we go Rovers are moving through the gears and then they draw 2-0 draw, down at home to Selborne they pull it back of course um, but you still have to put Rovers as the favourites
1: yeah you would but I think you're right when you say how competitive it, it is Eric and everybody taking points off each other which for us tuning in I know you're a big Bose fan I have to remain a bit neutral but at the same time I want to see Sligo Rovers do well but for the good of the league I think it's great that it's competitive and we have three, four, five teams maybe um, in the mix the longer it can stay like that I think it will be good for us as well and, and obviously the amount of people that are tuning in at the moment to see it but I would still have Rovers as favourites you're right because you look at the quality that they have and the quality that they possess not only on the, the first 11 you look at off the bench as well the yeah. squad they have and over the course of a season you would expect them to obviously come out on top
2: and just on that Rovers squad they've got players who've played for Ireland before the likes of Jack Bourne the likes of Graham Burke. do you think they're still good enough for a call-up and is there any other Rovers players or any other League of Ireland players that you think would be worthy of a call-up to the to the senior men's team?
1: I think when you go back to that time when Jack and Graham did get their call-ups and they were fully deserved and rightly so it was around the time of the major transformation that was going on in amongst the squad with Stephen and obviously he was trying to try out new players and young players and bring them through I think if you look and we're two years down the line now from that and you look at the performance against France and we look like we've more kind of um, steadied the ship in terms of Stephen knows his best 8 or nine, ten out of 11 maybe in particularly in that midfield area where both Jack and Graham play I think it's harder for them to get in now because lads have come along and have 15, 20 caps now whereas, whereas before they would have been starting off the likes of Malumbi, Knight these yeah. young lads in midfield whereas you look at them now they're more established in that set up and that team so as I say I think it's harder for Jack and Graham right now at this moment in time but if they're producing the goods and they're performing to the level I have no qualms about putting them in or Stephen putting them in I'm sure he would as well I think though off the back of maybe the league at the moment they have been excellent the boys particularly Graeme Graham Burke over the last probably 3-4 weeks scoring the goals that he is Jack has come into a bit of form as well like the form that we all know that he's capable of but I think if there were to get back into Steven's squad and particularly the competitive games that we're playing in now I think they have to do something special maybe on the European stage Right. and obviously that's upcoming in a few weeks yeah. when, when that all kicks off but for them maybe to get themselves back into that squad I think they have to be doing it at a slightly higher level than maybe in the league at the moment
2: OK right so we're going to move back on to the Premier League the drama that is the Premier League Al and uh, obviously the big story over the weekend was I suppose Arsenal um, looked like they're having another wobble and mm. for the second week in succession went 2-0 up, coasting and then find themselves dragged back to 2-all and that's four points dropped in two matches it's kind of it's kind of put the, the title in both their hands because if both of them you know, if either team wins mm. all their games they're going to be champions but... Um, Uh, what's your opinion of Arsenal at the moment pressure yeah
1: pressure Eric Um, and it brought me back to that time when I was taught Arteta might come out and say and I would love it if we beat them the Kevin (laughs) Keegan moment but um, yeah I just look at the game on Sunday and as you say for it to happen two weeks on the trot it can happen in Anfield and Liverpool and they have the quality obviously amongst the team even though they've been inconsistent where you would nearly allow for the fact that as I say crazy things can happen and they get themselves back in the game and at the end Arsenal were hanging on for a point and last week we might have been looking, at that, looking back come the end of the season at that thinking that might be a point gained. Then you go to West Ham fighting for their lives down near the bottom a team that's struggling um, I know it's a game away from home but when you're 2-0 up and cruising Out in the, the 10 manner minutes, yeah. and in the manner in which they were like I They watched, quietened
2: the crowd and everything Those boos coming was, from the West Ham crowd for the first
1: 35 minutes they were so so dominant and so comfortable in the game a slip-up then with Partey, obviously tries something on the edge of the box. Rice nicks it off and plays it in, and the penalty, obviously, is given. Um, ben Rama steps up, takes the penalty, and the whole atmosphere and dynamic Just in the changed, stadium changes. It? Yeah, It's like somebody they, flicked a switch. And then, as you say, the pressure kind of builds on them, and mm-hmm. they're thinking, um, here we go again. Obviously, thinking back to Anfield the previous week. And I was really disappointed with them this week, because all season I've stuck up for Arsenal, in the sense that I think they've been brilliant, they've played great football, they've been great to watch. I had them down as favourites to win the league, even though City are obviously building up ahead of steam. But I was so disappointed with them at the weekend, Eric, because even though West Ham got themselves back into the game, there was still 50 minutes for Arsenal to, to obviously come back themselves and obviously go again and try and get a get a winner or get the, get the third goal for themselves. But they were so tepid in that second half. If anything, it looked like West Ham might have gone on to get the yeah. winner. And... They huffed and puffed for the next kind of 40, 45 minutes. And I was so disappointed with them. And you look at it now and it's absolutely, it's it's three points drop because they were in such a kind of dominant position. And to let it slip in the manner that they did... Then you flick over to City, who, as I say, are building up such a run of form at the moment. And for the first time all season, as I said, I've stuck with Arsenal. For the first time all season, i flipped and I think Man City will win the league. Now. Oh, because
2: that was my next question. Do you think Arsenal are blown? Yeah, I
1: think they're gone. Really? Yeah, I do. Psychologically, okay. the damage that that will do, Eric. Right. Um, now, they still have an opportunity to come back. And one of the reasons I was giving them a big opportunity towards the end was the fact that they will go into all their games fresh because obviously they're not involved in any other competition. I think that actually might hinder them now in the sense that Man City who I thought would be going into the Champions League and the FA Cup and they would be distractions in terms of trying to win a league because they've such momentum with them now they're just bouncing from game to game no matter what the competition and they've hit such a red hot kind of patch of form that I just think it's, it's looking ominous now for everybody else and particularly for Arsenal. And, um, the way they wilted on Sunday really disappointed me.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's, it's kind of ominous, I suppose, coming into the business end of the season. Roy Keane said it would be an absolute disaster for Arsenal if they don't win the league, whereas Gary Neville said um, they still had an excellent season. Where would you sit?
1: Up to now, you would say they still had an excellent season, but I would kind of still be along the side of Roy in the sense that they've got themselves into such a strong position that it will be a disaster now if they don't. Get the job done, because who knows
2: when they'll be in this chance again? Because you look at the the, the teams that they're competing with; they're all going to strengthen mm-hmm. in the summer, and Arsenal, of course, will strengthen as well. But they're going to have Champions League football as well. Uh, but next season, you'd imagine City will be even stronger again. Mm-hmm. Is that even possible? Can they get even stronger? Yeah, they're
1: phenomenal City a phenomenal City or a joke they are Eric. And you look at them, and the game. Even if you go back to the Champions League game during the week, Eric, they're playing Bayern Munich. Bayern were actually very good. Yeah, I was watching yeah. the game, thinking, particularly in the second half when when Bayern came out, had three or four pot shots from just outside. The box, Sani, are thinking game on here. I yeah. was really enjoying it. And next thing, for that half an hour, City just overpowered them, mm-hmm. got the goals. Um, and 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 I'm sure Tushil was probably going away thinking we've actually played okay here. Yeah, he and, even came out with a
2: comment saying I fell in love with my team last night because he thought he played. They played really well, showed I, a lot thought, of character.
1: I thought they were good, Eric. Yeah. I really did. But as you say, City just the form that they've hit at the moment and, and they're just electric and obviously everybody looks at Haaland and De Bruyne and all but you look at the likes of Grealish at the moment as well and obviously he was coming under a bit of stick last year the price tag he, looked well, since at the home, world he cooks, looks at been now, sensational hasn't in he? that environment yeah. and it almost looks to me as if he's found his place he was always the big fish of Villa and yeah. every, everything went through him and he was the star man and he could kind of Take the ball where and when he wanted it, and do what he wanted. Kind of everybody was looking towards him to produce the magic. He went to city, and he probably went so far down the pecking order yeah. that he's gone from the big fish to a little tadpole yeah. <laughs> at city. But all of a sudden, he's flourishing now. A um, tadpole
2: with great calves, yeah, yeah. unbelievable calves. Uh,
1: <laughs> but you look at him at the moment; yeah, he's he's playing great stuff. Yeah, um,
2: the, but as I as I as I alluded to out there, I'll. Do you think like? Is this, is this their chance, Ars? Is this season their chance? Will they ever get another chance like this, do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's a fair question, Eric. I yeah. really do, because for the points you raise in terms of the other clubs that will strengthen, absolutely they'll strengthen. Um, and because of the start that Arsenal got off, to, as I said, the, the position that, the, that they put themselves in, and... They're going out. It's a bit of a whimper at the moment. Now, yeah. obviously, to have the opportunity to bounce back. And, of course, they're playing Southampton this week. You would expect them to get the job done there. But Southampton are fighting for their lives as well. So yeah. they'll need a big reaction. And then, of course, the huge game is going to be City next week. Obviously. Next Wednesday, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be electric. Uh, but you'd have to fancy City with the form that they're in at the moment. And and to answer your question, I don't think they'll get a better chance, Eric. It's, it's just... Because of, of the strength and depth of the other teams, the money that they're capable of spending the other teams in the off-season as well, um, I don't think they'll get a better chance. And they'll be, they're, I suppose Roy Keane said it at the weekend it will be a bit of a disaster if they don't get the job done.
2: Just on Arsenal, Al, um, you tweeted out last night a, uh, a little video mm. um, which caused a lot of controversy. Not because you posted it, but the video itself, the content itself was a... Uh, and it was tweeted out by Arsenal Football Club themselves mm. of a little mascot getting a jersey signed by the players as they entered the dressing room about two hours before kick-off or whatever and I suppose the message from a lot of fans was, including yourself, was um, wow, not one of them seemed to make an effort to make eye contact or have a little chat with her you could see her eyes lighting up when Odegaard came along
1: what, 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 what was that all about? What yeah, it was, it was pathetic to be honest with you Eric um, I was disappointed with Arsenal already coming off the back of that result <laughs> on a Sunday but I'm sitting home watching a bit of the snooker getting ready for Leeds and Liverpool the protester gets on the table in the snooker. I'm already fuming. <laughs> then I see this video. And I was. I was disgusted. Right. Because we've all been there in terms of whether you're a little kid growing up as a fan, whether you become an adult as a fan, live your life through kind of supporting the club, whether you're a little kid, wants to be a pro- professional football player, if you're lucky enough to go on and be a professional football player. So all the different kind of scenarios we've all kind of seen and maybe been in being in. Uh, throughout the different years ourselves. And I know, as a young fella, being a fan, that if you see one of your heroes in front of you, all you want is a smile or a little high-five or some sort of an acknowledgement, yeah. We were over in um, Tottenham there earlier in the season and I brought my little lad over and he loves Harry Kane. And Man City were out warming up along the sideline, right? And he was roaring out to the players and they were just running up and down. And the big centre-half um, for Man City, Diaz, Looked over at one stage and just looked out at him and winked. No way And Harry still thinks To this day He was winking at him Ah. Now he did wink at him But he thinks He actually went Harry is your son Not Harry Kane Sorry Yeah yeah, sorry My son Harry (laughs) And and just a little moment Like that Something similar Happened with Calvin Phillips And they acknowledged Somebody in the crowd And straight away The young lad feels Look he he looked at me And it costs nothing And these players Were were standing in front Of this little girl For anybody that hasn't Seen the video And her face Particularly with Martin Odegaard Who I'm a massive fan A brilliant player And I'm not suggesting The Arsenal players Are bad people Because we obviously Don't know I've seen a couple of the, the documentary. Saka looks like a great lad, young Saka. I'm a big fan of his as well. But in this particular moment, the young girl is standing with her dad. They're signing the the, the jersey, and not one of them looked at her. And Odegaard, you can see her face light up. Obviously, and she, she
2: looks at her dad as if to say, "He's my favourite player." And all he
1: has to do is say hello to the little yeah, kid. I would and have made her day. give her a high five. How are you doing? How's things? Great to see you. Whatever. And I think back to, obviously, um, we'll be chatting to David Connolly later in the programme and I often think of Seamus Coleman who, who I know and I've seen different things with Seamus and I nearly even think it's an Irish thing with us that maybe the way we're brought up Eric that just comes naturally to us yeah. a little hello straight away oh, natri- I'm
2: happy to t- chat to every granny that stops me in a supermarket and talk about Fair City you know all the I mean? time well, I've, you I've I've loads of time for the grannies and loads the of
1: natural time. inclination for us is to go and do that and, and this video as I said I was disgusted by it and it came from Arsenal's own account whoever came up with the brainwave to put this out yeah. because it's backfired massively um, and it was just a moment where I thought no I'm not having this yeah
2: okay well that's Arsenal that's Arsenal uh pigeonholed and sent up for, for the rest of the and season. And I hope they don't win <laughs> the league after Israel. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've lost the dressing room,
0: Arsenal. You've lost the dressing room.
2: <laughs> Come here. Um, uh, moving on to another London club, Chelsea, who've had a crazy season. And I know last time you were in with us, Al, we touched upon the fact, and you, you thought it was a an, an, a bizarre decision to reappoint Frank Lampard. And it's looking like that already. Like, he's three games, three defeats. Um, watched him against Brighton at the weekend. They were lucky it was only 2-1. It could have been 6 or 7 and you wouldn't have blinked an eye because Brighton were that good. But Chelsea looked listless, looked like they had no plan. And, Mm. you know, like in his last 17 games as a manager, when you go back to his Everton tenure, um, he's won one game. Mm. So, like, what are Chelsea at?
1: It's a good question, Eric, what are Chelsea at? Because we mentioned it here last week in terms of how bizarre that appointment was based on everything that has gone before in terms of the failure already when he was at Chelsea then he failed at Everton as well and for them to appoint him in a situation where they're absolutely struggling and you bring in somebody with the... the, the, the novicy experience that he has as a manager he's only had those obviously he was with Derby beforehand for a short spell and then he's had the two stints with Chelsea and Everton. but in terms of his managerial experience and career if you want somebody to come in like a Roy Hodgson who steadied the ship at, at Crystal Palace and looks like done a a brilliant appointment since he's come back in but he's built up a portfolio of experience over the years whereas Lampard hasn't got that and he's come in and nothing's changed. I watched him against Real Madrid last week now we all know Real Madrid are brilliant but Real Madrid were in second gear in the second half and as you say coasting yeah listless is a great description for Chelsea because in terms of their identity and their plan and structure on them there's nothing and for Brighton and I know Brighton are having a good season but nine times out of ten you'd expect Chelsea if they're in their pomp to be at a, a Brighton team yeah. and for uh, the appointment to be made and then I'm reading this week Bowley went in after and had a go at them as well and it's just a mess it's yeah. an absolute mess I from sh- the top down and obviously Lampard has been kind of uh, given that responsibility as the manager but as you said there it already looks like a what, disaster
2: What is the biggest issue there Al in your opinion? Is it the players? Is it the coach? Is it the owner?
1: Well I wouldn't have got rid of Potter yeah so okay. like if you bring a manager in to do a job and I know things were going pretty bad um but if you have a plan in your in your head you stick to that plan in my in my view unless it becomes totally kind of untenable but I never felt it was get it was it was at that stage mm-hmm. yet where sometimes you have to go through as Andy Dufresne, you have to crawl through a mile of shit to come out clean at the end or you know? And sometimes I like it all. Sometimes like it. you have to do that. Yeah. And and if that means like we have to go through the tough times and the trouble times and it's really difficult, but we can see a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of what we're trying to do and achieve here. I think had they stuck with Potter, they might they might have a better chance of coming out and seeing that. Yeah. Whereas at the moment with Lampard, it's 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 just where is it going? It's, it's blown up. Darkness. Like there's no light at the end of the tunnel right now. And and it's probably wrong to pin, pin it all on him right now because he's inherited a squad of players. And this is why I think Potter as well was let down because there was players brought in. And I'd say if you were to sit down with Graham Potter... I'd say he didn't give the go-ahead on probably five, six, seven of them. And all of a sudden, he finds himself in a situation where there's 25 first-team players with big egos. I've already mentioned the the spoiled brattiness of Arsenal and what they were doing with the wee mascot. So you have fellas of yeah. this ilk, yeah. and Potter's trying to manage that toxic environment with fellas. And that's ultimately why it fails, Eric, you know, with on, these boys.
2: On the subject of managers, and managers doing a great job and coming in... Um, You look at Emery Mm. at Aston Villa and the job he's done there. And, you know, when you think back to the time when he was at Arsenal, obviously, it was a bit of a poison chalice. He was coming in after Wenger, who had an amazing Arsenal career. But, he was often lampooned when he was there. Even though he had a, a, a highly impressive CV mm. with Sevilla winning cha- uh, Europa Leagues and all that kind of stuff. A decorated uh, club career in La Liga. Yet lampooned at Arsenal wasn't really taken seriously. But well, look at the job he's done there at Aston Villa. It's
1: absolutely phenomenal. I think it's seven wins in, in eight, one draw. They've won five on the bounce and mm-hmm. uh, it's just unbelievable and to watch them at the weekend the way they're playing as well the shape and structure he's put on that team they absolutely ripped Newcastle to shreds and Newcastle themselves yeah. sitting third in the table have been brilliant all year nobody has dismantled Newcastle the way Villa did at the weekend Ollie Watkins looks like a new player and um, the belief that Emery has probably given him as well
2: that's the thing i like because that squad is is inherently the same squad Stephen Gerrard yep. had so emery hasn't bought anyone mm-hmm. he's he's come in and he's worked with those players and as you said he's made players like watkins um, John McGinn they look like better players and is that is that down to count, coaching on a day to day basis on the training ground
1: 100% because yeah. that's what uh, a coach's job a manager's job is to try and make players better at your disposal what you have as you said he hasn't bought, bought anyone or brought anyone in the, the group that he inherited was there previous that Gerard made a couple of signings or whatever and as you say the proof is in the pudding. He's made those players better with the performances on the pitch as well. A couple of them were disgruntled. I know Mings was having trouble with Gerard at the time as well around the captaincy. It looks like he's brought them all together, given them belief. Even he looks like he's playing very well at the moment. And, and what really annoyed me about the Unai Emery kind of stint under the Arsenal uh, regime when he was there, the disrespect that was shown to him as well because he almost became this kind of... Um, Fun figure. Yeah, 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 because of his accent and the way he was speaking. He's a Spanish man, like coming (laughs) over, learning a new language. Like to educate himself and try and learn that new language, and obviously. Uh, come into that environment and want to try and speak in, in the English way as well um, I thought it was absolutely brilliant and everybody started to ridicule him for that yeah. which was a total lack of respect where he's come in now at Villa again and he's proved just what a brilliant top level coach he is and I go back to the point about Lampard Gerard is the same case they haven't built up that level of a portfolio like what I Emery has Roy Hodgson whoever uh, all those lads with the experience and again the proof is in the pudding with Emery doing an unbelievable job
2: it's, it's gas you mentioned Roy Hodgson there, um, I think a lot of eyebrows were raised when he came into the uh, came back to Palace mm-hmm. after Vieira was sacked and I thought Vieira was doing a decent job there for a while but um, I suppose what Hodgson has done is he's come in and uh, I think before, the last four or five matches of Vieira's reign, I think they had a combined total of like three or four shots on goal, they so those of, a
3: goal
2: yeah. yeah, and in his first match, they had 31 shots on goal, yeah. so what what happens there when Hodgson comes in? Obviously, another man who has a glittering portfolio, mm. vast experience, and is managed all over Europe and national team level with England as well. But he's come in and he's given these players like Olise and Essay belief. And like in the three games that he's been in charge, Crystal Palace are playing like primetime Barcelona. It's, yeah, it's, it's a- incredible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it actually is incredible. But it just goes to show what can be done as well, Eric. Um, and sometimes, like it's very simple people now are trying to reinvent wheels when they talk about football and stuff but man management is so important and if he comes in Roy Hodgson looks like he might put his arm around the likes of Elise, the likes of Eze who I was always a massive fan of and I tweeted out at the weekend which one of the big boys are going to take him because he's that good or he could go and play with one of the big boys Uh, he's absolutely fantastic I thought he actually might have had a bit of a sniff of going to the World Cup with England as well because he was playing so well but since Hodgson has come in he looks even better again um, and sometimes it can be just as simple as that, or giving fellas belief, making them feel ten foot tall. He was always known as a coach who was in terms of uh, his team's uh, shape and a structure that they might be a bit negative and yeah. defensive. But as you said, it looks as though he's come in and thought, Well, look, this is my last shot at this. Go out and play, lads, yes, and enjoy go and, and, and express yeah. yourselves. Yeah. And they have players as well that fits that system. Like if he was trying to come in and put restrictions on an Eze or Elise did fall flat on their face because you can't restrict those type of players to be defensive because that's not their game. Whereas he might have looked at, again, players at his disposal. You can only work off the personnel that you have in terms of how you want them to play. And he probably looked at what was there in terms of um, the talent that he has to perform in an attacking way, in an attacking manner. Zaha as well, you throw into the mix, who's been brilliant for Crystal Palace, injured at the moment. And he might have looked at it and thought, with the players I have here, I can't put any limitations on these. Go out, boys. Do what you do best. Enjoy yourselves. Perform. And look at the, the performance. And they do look like and, they're, and, and they're enjoying themselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Paddy a... McCarthy, who is obviously yeah. there as well. I know Paddy um, would have played with him an underage. And obviously Paddy's gone through obviously his playing career and now he's focusing on his coaching career and what a brilliant man to be learning off with Roy Hodgson as well for him in terms of being an understudy there to obviously want to go on and be a coach in his own right one day um, brilliant to be learning off the likes of Roy Hodgson And
2: amazing sorry but just go back to uh, the Villa thing again just uh, Oli Watkins to Man United.
1: He looks at, I, I take him right now at this moment in yeah. time. Veghorst, I've no time for Martial. I hope he's gone out the door as well because, again, you're talking about surly, sulky boys like Martial <laughs> would drive you up. The fellas would die to play for Man United. Yeah. And you look at the scowl on his face every time he's playing a match or drive you up the wall. So um, if he keeps up the form that he's playing with at the moment, Ollie Watkins, because, again, as I said, I looked at him at the weekend, looks like a different player
2: he's like he's the top scorer in the Premier League since the World Cup which is which is incredible I think he's a goal or two ahead of Rashford now, I don't know Rashford has an injury mm-hmm. at the moment but uh, Ten Hag seems to like these physical strikers and that's what Watkins brings you but he has a lot of mobility as well he's a clever player good movement in the box and God he knows how to finish so uh, so anyway I would I would, I would, would echo that I think uh, Ollie Watkins would be a, a decent alternative to Harry Kane who would probably cost £500 million anyway if Daniel Levy has his well. if way. You get
1: Kane go for Kane <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah exactly well come here listen um, the other big news story football news story of the week was the Euro 2028 UK and Ireland application alright um, like there was a lot of people saying I, you know we've got two venues the Aviva and the from Park in mm-hmm. Belfast which has been redeveloped at the moment and um, do you think the bid itself, it's worth it for Irish football? Would, would a resource be better being put into the League of Ireland than doing up the infrastructure, the grounds and all that? Or or where do you stand on the whole 2028 20, bid?
1: Yeah, I think there's two ways of looking at it, Eric, to be fair. And, and I would edge a little bit towards what you're saying in terms of the investment. Could it be spent better elsewhere in terms of obviously our elite level football? Because you look around the infrastructure and we all know like we're miles behind in terms of where it should be. And we've all kind of banged the drum about this over the years. And for the first time in years and years, there feels like there's something happening in the League of Ireland that we're all kind of getting involved, rowing in behind. Stuff that we've said for years... Years ago, but now there seems to be a lot more of a clamour for it mm-hmm. from outside the league as well, not just people within the league, which is great to see. So, of course, we all need investment and resources put into that to try and better the facilities. And you mentioned we were in Daly Mount Friday night. I can't wait till that's redeveloped, and it'll be yeah. phenomenal when it's redeveloped. Eight thousand, yeah, it yeah. Like yeah, over something similar, big mm-hmm. plans, um, and and that's exactly what's needed. But I can still see the argument for hosting a major tournament, and if that was the case and whether it's Caseman Park being redeveloped or whether it's the Aviva if we were to host two or three matches here uh, it would be phenomenal Eric. like I suppose it would be it really would be. Wouldn't like, it would know, yeah, be a real buzz yeah of course to be a real yeah. buzz we 're all we love the football yeah. we 're mad about it. we want to see the best players play um, in terms of the economy as well what it, what, what it would bring in visitors vi- com- coming over to the country visiting the place as well, the revenue it would generate um, so I can see that being being a positive as well and and it 's probably not a bad thing for the FEI to be involved in these type of conversations and arguments with other kind of um powers that be around the world around Europe as well that we're in the conversation you don't want to be left out on the outskirts yeah. you know I
2: think people are a bit concerned I think in that 2028 20, if I read somewhere that they are reducing it to 24 teams and you're kind of going yeah. well then
1: do Ireland qualify Ireland. Yeah, yeah. as I a host or
2: well, what's yeah. going on like yeah. you know because um, it'll be like England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, and Ireland—you can't have five teams who automatically <laughs> cut, them. and only 19 places for 800 teams. Like, you know what I mean? It's the top one in that group, and then the other six go home. You know, what, like it's—it's it's impossible. <laughs> but anyway, listen—I—I—I'm kind of—I—I—I would—I'd uh, be—I'd be coming from where you're coming from, Al. I—I—I'm a bit of both. I would like to see a little bit more investment, obviously, in in the local game because I think that's that's what will breed our international team going forward. Mm. Um, but also. Wouldn't it be just amazing to 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 rock up to the Aviva one night and watch France play in Spain or yeah, something? Yeah, absolutely. Imagine it would that be unbelievable. Us, like, you know? I think about it,
1: you know. <laughs> yeah. And even around the streets of Dublin, yeah, like, yeah, all yeah. the fans and all, it would be that carnival atmosphere. It would be unreal. Um, now, in saying that, I think there's more of an understanding, though, from people in government and politicians in terms of the investment that's needed. Because I see people now... Um, the sports minister for one the previous sports minister now whether it's PR I don't know but they're all getting involved in terms of conversations around the league and investment Um, and I see a lot more of that on social media now than I've ever seen so I think there's a bit more of a clearer understanding of people in those positions that look the responsibility is on us now to try and develop the players and bring them through and one thing that we need massively to develop them is proper infrastructure and facilities. Brilliant.
2: Al I could talk to you all
1: day, yeah, as you know. I do but, enjoy it.
2: But we have to go over and talk to Mr. David Connolly. So, without further ado, we're going to go now live of to David Connolly to have a chat. Okay, it gives me immense pleasure to bring our next guest on to... House of Football podcast. It is the uh, legendary Irish striker, former Irish striker David Connolly who's played 41 times for Ireland scoring 9 goals and a man who's had a lot of clubs, nearly as much clubs as you've had Al in your time. He played for Watford, <laughs> Feyenoord, Wolves on loan, Excelsior on loan, Wimbledon, West Ham, Leicester City, Wigan Athletics, Sunderland, Southampton, Portsmouth, Oxford on loan and AFC Wimbledon. David Connolly are very welcome to House of Football. How are you doing Paul?
0: Yeah, I'm very well, Eric. Um, <laughs> we probably haven't
2: got much time left now. You know that. Spend ten minutes naming the clubs you played for, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um obviously Dave, we knew you were coming on the show, so we, we we did a little bit of research on you and um and obviously like the, the, the you're a London lad, but you grew up in a, a very Irish household. Uh, your parents were Irish, um and they, they moved to, to, to London. Um so you grew up uh, with the with the uh, In a very Irish household, Gaelic football, hurling—you were very, very familiar with all that. I think your—did your dad play minor level or something like that? Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's sort of when, when, yeah, when where I grew up in London was kind of uh, beside, yeah. They used to call. I I grew up in Wilsden beside Kilburn, and Kilburn—they used to say—was County Kilburn. Yes, um, (laughs) the the next county outside.
3: So,
0: I mean, uh, I had a very, I had a great sort of childhood really because um you know everyone kind of all those that emigrated all hung out together you know my parents had loads of friends over here you know and they built up a, <clears throat> a kind of community um you know and, and basically yeah all to be honest it all revolved around Gaelic games yeah so my dad was, was a big hurler more so than Gaelic uh, you know the football but he was a massive hurler so um and he had four brothers and um you know the, the, yeah, so my my childhood was 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 kind of based around not football pitches, but it was based around the Gaelic grounds of London. Right. You know? So that was that was me really. So um, you know, but to be honest, a lot of the kids my age, that they, they'd look at the, the the dads tearing into each other and, and <laughs> kicking seven bells out of each other and, <laughs> in the hospital and we're going, geez. That's not for us. We'll we'll play football.
2: (laughs) A more gentle game. Yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: So, um, yeah, you're just thinking, why are they doing this? Every week, there's another punch up. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it was quite, and they they didn't wear helmets in those days. No,
2: real men, David, real men.
0: Real, I would say every, every weekend, I was, my dad was sort of, or the captain, or the, then the manager, and you, they'd have to go to the hospital. So I, I reckon <laughs> I'd, I'd know near enough every A and E in London. Be
1: <laughs> not, not much has changed in the GAA world either, yeah.
2: <laughs> except they're, well in he- yeah. they're wearing helmets now. That's the only except difference. Wearing helmets. yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, David, so obviously, then uh, you 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 being called up for the uh, Republic of Ireland uh, squad must have been a massive honour to you and your family.
0: Yeah, I mean it was it's funny because I've told this story before, but when I was growing up, you know, everyone's heroes would be different. I was a Liverpool fan because of all the Irish lads, and and you know, I uh, I sort of wrote one once to Jim Beglin. You know, I was about ten or eleven, and, I, and and I bumped into Jim, and he knows his story. You know, and and we have a laugh about it now. But um, yeah, he uh, so I was a big obviously big Liverpool fan. I, I wrote to him he sent me and my dad, would you believe it? Two tickets up to Anfield. So when I was 10, 11 years old, went up to Anfield. And, and so look, I always wanted to be uh, a player, a football player, you know, and, and obviously uh, Ireland was, you know, we, we, would I think I had one holiday that wasn't to Ireland. I think we went to Spain, and 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 it wasn't a very good one. So he's right; we'll go back to Ireland. So every every <laughs> sort of um, everything was leading towards. Uh, but I never thought I would. But obviously, yeah, I uh, had the chance to, and um, probably helped at the time because Mick McCarthy was Millwall manager, and and I was playing for Watford, and uh, we'd play against Millwall in the youth team. Look, we'd play we'd play against Arsenal, we'd play Tottenham. It's not like nowadays where. Half the time, the, the the big Premier League teams don't play against, you know, your Watfords of this world. But in those days, you played Arsenal, you played Tottenham, you played West Ham, but you'd also play Millwall. You you know, it was a mixed Southeast. Yeah. It was a regional based on geography. Yeah. So, um, you yeah, know, Mick was Millwall manager. And in those days, the first-team manager, you know, wasn't big enough not to go and watch the kids play. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd make time to go and watch the kids play because if you didn't go and watch the kids play, you wouldn't know what was coming through. And also, you'd have to use them. Whereas nowadays... Geez, they'd have like twenty-five players and you'd have to jump through a thousand hoops to get a chance in the yeah. first team. But but, you know, twenty, thirty years ago it was a lot it was a lot easier. So Mick was a mill manager. He watched the youth team game. I remember him there when I was about sixteen. And um I scored a good goal against Ben Thatcher. And I think the conversations sixteen, seventeen, sort of started then. And uh, you know, and then when Mick got the got the main job for Ireland, yeah, I got the call.
2: Brilliant. Um, just going back to your, your club career, David, obviously you came to the attention playing with Wofford. Um, and then, then you made the, the, the big leap to Dutch football, uh, signing for the Dutch Giants Feyenoord. Uh, can you tell us a little bit how about that, that move came about?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you how that move came about because um, for, we played a few games for Ireland in, the, in um, that year because we didn't qualify for Euro 96. So we had the US Cup, which was brilliant because, you know, the lads as a youngster going over to New York and Boston and and uh, <laughs> as a kid. And, and, and then we had, geez, we had a whole team making their debuts. You know, Shea, yeah. I think, made his debut and Kev Kilban. And Ian Hart, like, I think,
2: as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: there was loads of them. Yeah, because I, the, I saw the last one with Harty. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, so you had a raft of, of, of youngsters. I think Harty was a little bit maybe a couple of years after us, cause he's a bit younger. Right. But you know, there was a raft of us that made, uh, got a chance in and around that us cup. And then after that, then I think we played Holland in a friendly at final stadium before Euro 96. And I played quite well against them. Yeah. Probably had a, a one-off, you know, and, uh, Ah yeah very and, modest. You
2: know, Dave. very modest. Well, and <laughs> uh, you
0: know, one good game. And, um, they, you know, they, so that that's where the conversation started, I guess. And, uh, and and it led to the move on a free transfer and um look at the time you know you you get to play champions league football i didn't think i'd play champions league football i didn't play champions foot, league football again um but um i mean what a club for those that don't know it i mean my good. i They're, mean you would not yeah they, an incredible you know, club
2: you know, i think you mentioned the the stadium itself david in that it was such like the, what's it the decoyp the, the, the decoyp mm. yeah. yeah and yeah. it's uh, it's such a cathedral uh, of of football, the like the fans are so passionate there, and Feyenoord now are top of the Dutch league at the moment. They're they're playing yeah. it really it, well, and
1: even watching the Europa League stuff there last week and all. The atmosphere is absolutely incredible. Um, so yeah, it must be some experience they have, obviously, to be playing your yeah. weekly, weekly football in that arena.
0: Yeah, it was it was. Uh, I mean, you know, there'd be fat uh, like people would come and have their lunch and watch you train, or the first day, you know, there'd be first day training. That they'd have to build. Um, mini stands there'd be about 5,000 fans watching um watching training and they'd have their own newspaper you know and they'd be putting out in the newspaper you know if you missed the sitter in training you're like (laughs) (laughs) jeez can't
3: even have a bad day training um,
0: but um you know and there'd be loads of fans you know uh I mean it was it was it was like nothing else you'd ever experienced and I was nowhere near ready for it um but i think by the time I, I left i understood what it was to be you know competing at at that level and the, the, the next season they won the uefa cup i mean yeah. they were they were a good team like That's, they were they are a good team there some and, seasoned
2: um, internationals went at your time david i think uh, when you joined it was just as uh, mr Larson was leaving is that right henrik Larson was leaving uh, to sign for self- i mean that,
0: that, yeah that was that was amazing because I remember once we were just warming up and this lad beside me had yeah dreadlocks, you know, and I didn't know who he was because I was just a kid and I just landed over in this country. I didn't know any of the players, really. I knew Ronald Koeman. He was there. Wow. But this fella had dreadlocks beside me. And I was like, why aren't you involved? He's like, oh, they, they, they want me to go. They don't they don't want me here anymore. And we're just jogging along, you know. You think, <laughs> oh, okay. We're- where are you going? Well, I don't know. Maybe Celtic. You know, there was a few. Anyway, that turned out to be Henrik Larsen. So um yeah, they really screwed that up. Yeah. And they got rid of Henry. <laughs> <laughs> and they and they got me in. So. Yeah,
2: and he went for the bargain. Six hundred and fifty thousand. I think was the fee that Celtic <laughs> paid. Nuts. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. When you consider what, you imagine? imagine what he did in his time there. Um, yeah. What was I going to say? But there was also some other big personalities there. Uh, David uh, was it Giovanni
0: Bron- Van Bronckhorst was there as well when you were there. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. Some, you know, some good, um, yeah, Giovanni and um, uh, yeah, plenty of Dudek. Oh, Jersey Dudek, Dudek. Yeah. yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I heard,
2: I, I read a great story, David, where um, uh, Feyenoord hadn't beaten Ajax in like twenty six years away from home. And you scored twice in a 4 3 win, and you were carried off the pitch shoulder high by Jersey Dudek.
0: Well, um, <laughs> most of that story is true, but you know, with most stories, there's a little bit of, you know, there's a little bit of. Uh, <laughs> why why um, let the um, truth get in the wife. way of a good story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. He, he, he didn't, I don't think he put me on his shoulders. The other goalkeeper, the reserve goalkeeper did, but let's just keep it that
2: yeah, way. Yeah, of it, course it was. Yeah. How,
1: how did you find Dave, I suppose, the transformation? Um, coming from the rough and tumble of English football, which it would have been very much so back then. Obviously, nowadays, everybody's trying to play the correct way, but all we ever heard of growing up was the Dutch football and the Dutch way, um, whereas obviously you were going into that environment. So the transformation from going to Watford or wherever it was, as you said, as a young player coming through, to go over to the culture in in the Netherlands at the time and obviously the Dutch way, as we hear the phrase. How did you find that?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, there's some lads now, some of. every week i look online i see there's another young irish lad going to yeah. italy or going going somewhere you know but in those days it didn't really happen i mean i have to say th- times have changed right <clears throat> when we're at watford we train a couple of times a week nowadays obviously if you're 14 15 16 you you'd be training four times a week probably you know i went over there i couldn't do a step over you know right. I, I, it wasn't it wasn't my game i went over there and the right backs could do a step over
3: and like jeez what you know, where, where
0: you know I, I could maybe score score a goal but what it led me to obviously see is that what I'd been doing in my formative years I would look don't get me wrong I wouldn't sh- swap it and I really enjoyed it but if we train twice a week one of those days we'd end up to be honest running round Watford's greyhound track wow. so like you know, and did you have were... to get into
2: the traps as well? At the start, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Chase um, the hair. Chase the hair. A
0: few times, you might, yeah, you might be the hair. But, you know, um, and I remember once I had a, had like a McDonald's or something before training. I was about 15. And then, and then I saw it an hour later on the track, you know, because you were just vomiting. So I guess... Look, in, in in all seriousness, when you're coming through, right? You have that that st- you, you 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 build up. You got that golden age of learning, and in those days, you know, if you weren't out kicking the ball in the streets maybe all day, every day, but you were, you know, you relied on your football for training for your skills as well as everything else. You know, you probably think the Dutch were doing a lot more technical stuff. Yeah. You know, um, and I guess in the middle there's the happy medium, which I think everyone does now. Everyone's yeah. got that happy medium of the right sort of training, with with uh, you know, and, and and I think everyone's at a pretty similar uh, level training wise, and then it's just your ability as a you know as a player, you know. But in those days, we didn't we you know, train twice a week. One of them we'd do running, mm. and then the other time was your was your football work, you know.
2: Yeah, uh, David, I'm going to bring you back, back to your Ireland career. Um, you, you obviously played in the, in the in the World Cup in 2002, um, uh, and Mick McCarthy was the the manager of that team. What, in your opinion, David, made Mick McCarthy such a good manager, particularly of that Ireland team?
0: Well, I mean, um, this is, I mean, I got on very well with Mick, but Mick Mick was very, I mean, he was honest as the day is long. I remember once he came to, um, he came to stay, well, he he came to Holland, right, to watch me uh, play a game. And he said, you know, I'm over on blah, blah, blah. So anyway, spoke to him after the game. And he was like, where are you going now? And it was about half ten at night. And I was like, uh, I'm going home. And he was like, well, uh, can I come? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so like, in the end. That's a bit awkward
2: for you, David. What could you
0: say? Jeez, um, yeah, what okay. could you say? And I, uh,
3: and I was like, yeah, yeah, all right,
0: okay. So, I mean, jeez, so anyway, there's my, I'm driving the car and, mix in the back or whatever and anyway i get back to the house and i was with my uh wife or whatever and and i was only 19 or whatever she was she was over him, and i was like jeez mix here where the hell are we gonna put him (laughs) and uh and and i was like well there's only one spare room which was the very top floor right but on the very top floor we just shut the door it had a wasp nest right so we didn't you know no one ever went in there and i was like we can't stay there there's a wasp nest." I sent her up to Hoover and I was like, please, God, if he gets stung in the middle of the night, we're in big <laughs> trouble. Anyway, it, it, was, it, it, was, it was just funny because I guess what I'm alluding to is that Mick was kind of like a yeah, pretty down-to-earth guy. Like right. he, he would have rather stayed in, and had a chat and be nice and relaxed that someone, you know, one of his players' houses than that in the home. I'm sure whether he felt like that in the morning, I don't know. But then he did. But, <laughs> look, I got on well with Mick and... Um, and in, in fact, actually, he sat in the chair, right? I had this chair in front of the telly. And in those days, they they had like Canal Plus, which is like uh, like Sky or yeah. whatever. But after about 11 o'clock, it gets a bit racy, you know? Okay, yeah. It gets a bit,
2: the red yeah. triangle,
0: Channel for Joe. <laughs> yeah. Nice, so, nice. He puts, he puts on the TV. He puts on the TV. And uh so, yeah, so you're working like this and you just... And this is gospel truth, right? All this is gospel. It starts flicking... And he comes to one of these Canal Plus stations that after 11 is, you know, is, is adults only. And <laughs> he's a like, bloody old <laughs> dude. And it, I was like, oh my, this is just a disaster. So, <laughs>
1: anyways, it's like watching TV quick, quick, with
0: your dad. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
3: exactly. So, um,
0: and and I guess that, that was kind of, Al's a bit, you know, he's right there. It, it, at times you felt like, For a lot of us youngsters, he might be like a father figure. You know, he looked after you well. He treated you fairly. If you didn't play well, you understood. He was honest, told you why you didn't play or whatever. But he kept a very uh, honest, uh, happy camp, you know. And, and, uh, you know, took a lot of training, joined in, you know, joined in. You know, you'd kick him and he'd kick you and you'd have words. But you knew that ultimately he he was a really good honest guy you know yeah. and, uh, and he was, trusted him that 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 world cup
2: squad uh in 2002 now come here listen we all know what happened in Saipan, but the world cup itself david the um that was one of the best irish squads we've ever had um but was there anyone there in that squad that you thought was maybe criminally underrated is there somebody maybe who didn't get much of a look in that you thought could have maybe played a more pivotal role or was it just the way it was I don't know. Like who, 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 who do you think? Um, I mean, I don't know. The producers well, just asked me to ask you that. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I can't remember. Well, um, yeah. I mean, um, I'll, uh, uh, let me, let me think. I mean, it's difficult to say because I think going into that, right. As you say, we probably had, I mean, Duffer and Robbie were brilliant up top. You know, Yeah. if, if you needed something else, obviously I came on against Spain for a little bit, but you had Quinny. Uh, as as a as a more aerial threat, who could do a bit of everything. I mean, we had world class players mm-hmm. all over the back. Probably too many at the back to fit everyone in. You yeah. know, um, midfield, we were brilliant. You know, even obviously we lost Roy, but even without Roy, you know, Matty Holland or Mark so whoever, would was superb. I, I, it's hard to say who wasn't used, although I would say that it was a great bunch of lads. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, there were. A really really great bunch of lads and uh, there's a really
2: good sense of togetherness with that group David a real group yeah Yeah. and
0: and to be honest look make the mistake look at the penalties mine was dreadful and you still think about it they were all dreadful penalties the ones even even the winning one for them oh I know and it was just one of those where it could have been so different and it's just ah it's still ranked
1: yeah. rank. was that something Dave um, that obviously helped yourselves and the squad at the time because we all know without repeating history what happened in terms of Roy and such an influential figure but the fact that you were a young group a young talented group and the togetherness was probably built up already probably helped salvage things and, and why you went on to do so well because an incident well, like that could the whole thing could unravel like
0: yeah, I mean, look, there's, there was there was you wouldn't say there was two camps, but there was those there was there was might be some of the younger players or or like myself who who would understand and empathise with Roy, and maybe because you weren't coming face to face with Roy every week because you weren't maybe playing at that level, you know, you might you could empathise a bit with Roy, and then well, some of the other lads would be more maybe mixed way, side thinking there's no way you can talk like that to the manager, and they might be battling Roy every week and picking lumps out of each other. And it, so there was, there was like, I wouldn't say two counts, but you, you could see there'd be some players who could see both sides and some that might be airing one side or the other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. I think, I think, look, it, it ultimately was, it was, it was a disaster for, for, for everyone, mm-hmm. but it was, it, it was nearly, it nearly worked out. And, and it's a case of what might have been, I mean, you know, we, 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 it's been, it's been gone over so many times and I actually, for that world cup i actually had a um i kept the video diary Well, wow. okay so i kept the video diary near enough every day for that world cup with a camcorder and everywhere we went like everything and actually when a meeting was called right <laughs> i actually had my camcorder in my hand like we were all talking <laughs> in the room and there was me i think kev Kilban, shay and and wow i put the camcorder down or whatever i could have I could have maybe carried it downstairs to the meeting, but yeah. I didn't bring it in.
2: Yeah, I brought right. it most places. I thought you were about you to know. give us a world exclusive there, well, David. I've actually oh, well, got footage of the Saipan incident.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? And, and the thing is, we went down to the, uh, to, the, to, the, to the meeting or whatever, and actually coming over on the plane, I, I sat next to Roy. It just seemed like I was always beside Roy. You know, when I got on the plane, I sat beside Roy, turned around to everyone. And they were looking at me going, (laughs) That's a long 12 (laughs) hour flight. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, well, obviously, Roy's great company as well. So, Roy, you know, great company. You can have a, you know, could be no better person to spend 12 hours with at times if he's in great form, you know. So that was fine. But anyway, the camcorder kind of stayed in the room, had the blow up meeting, came back up. Click the camera on. All the lads are like, no, no, no. Turn it <laughs> off. On off. <laughs> yeah, turn it off. So, I mean, we can we can laugh about it now, but yeah, it's, it's
1: it it sounds it sounds like um, reading between the lines. And from what I've heard, we know what side of the camp you were in, David. And obviously, <laughs> you you seem to, of course, look up to Roy in terms of um, how good a player he was. But it seemed like he obviously that was reciprocated, and he had a very good relationship with him because he signed a lot long after as well.
0: Yeah, I mean that th- that wasn't in the pipeline at the time, you know, th- th- to be honest, but um yeah, I mean it was just uh I could yeah, uh, w- you know, y- yeah, look up to him or you you're certainly respectful of his uh him as a player and his career, etc. um and 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 things like that, but yeah, it, it worked out that that um that I did uh, I did sign for Roy. Uh, and fa- and famously
2: David famously David during his first team talk at, uh, at Sunderland um, you put your hand up in the meeting to correct him on something he said um, brave man to do that let me tell you but obviously yeah, you knew him quite well uh, some, I think he was talking about their goalkeeper and you put your hand up and said uh, Gaffer he, he left the club three weeks ago was that true? Yeah <laughs> that,
0: yeah that was true I mean um, I'm sure he, yeah he, uh, he took it in in good um, yeah, you know, in the right way but he the worst thing is you keep going on and on, and, you, and the lads are thinking, "Geez, what is he on about?" It, it, the player's not even there anymore, you know. So um, I was kind of looking after him there a little bit. By
2: um, oh, right. Know, so were the other players aware of it as well? But just they were afraid to say something to him.
0: Well, I'm not. I'm. I'm not sure. It's just I knew their goalkeeper, so I'd, I'd spoken to him in the week. Yeah. So um, yeah, that they, that they, 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 yeah, that's true. But look, we. we, we I got on with Roy like I got on with all the lads, but you could easily fall out, you know, kick each other in training, or say something, and you know um, it could easily go the other way. But uh, how no, um, how
1: good was he, David?
0: Uh oh, yeah. I mean, he, he was obviously, uh, yeah, in, in, you know, incredible. But he would he would at times think, you know, um, are you pulling your weight? Are you playing as well as? Everyone else, are we carrying you? You could tell he would have these thoughts. He would have these um, ways in training, testing you. Um, And you could tell whether you, you know, he didn't perform that day in training. Sometimes he wouldn't perform in training, you know, but but you obviously knew he was, you know, an incredible player. Like, you know, Dennis Irwin was there as well. You know, two absolute giants of, of United at the time. So... Um, who were, who were flying, but you know, Gary Kelly was doing well when Ian Hart at Leeds. There was loads of players obviously performing at the, the very, very highest level, right? You know, and and Shay and yeah, Steve Finnan at Liverpool. I mean, geez, he you know, but obviously Roy was the um, he was the Man United captain, a massive player, yeah. Mm. Um, just uh, you,
2: you mentioned uh, uh, Defenders kicking lumps out of each other in training, and, and and just looking over your career, David. Do you have a? Is there any particular defender out there you have found as your most difficult opponent?
0: Um, if I if I think of the the, the players in the Ireland team, I would struggle to think of bet, if there's a better better defenders than a Stephen Carr or a Richard Dunn or a Gary Kelly or a Steve Finnan. You know kenny cunningham was brilliant if i think
3: of
0: mm. if, I, if i think of like defenders th- there would not be, be many better than them and you know shay even like shay in goal right i played with a lot a lot of goalkeepers and if you're the striker you'd want to do some shooting uh, say before training end of training before games and you know although famously that did lead to the roy yeah. the big <laughs> kickoff when, when the goalkeepers <laughs> didn't want to play the game, which yeah. I, I could also understand because as a striker, right, this is where I could have empathy because I'd be thinking, oh, hang on a minute, you know, I want to shoot against the goalkeepers. They can't be knackered from diving around with the <laughs> goalkeeper coach, you know. So, but even Shea would, no problem. I, he'll he'll take loads of pot shots and go, right, come on in, Can you beat me? You know, whereas some keepers, even really, really good ones, wouldn't do that because, you know, and you think, well, you know, so you had lads who were really throwing themselves into it like in training and games and, and you know And saw so the bigger the picture. The yeah, yeah. So, but they still would do the little you know, right, come on, can you beat me in training? And they weren't too big to go, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go and golf you or, you know, I'm not gonna be the fodder, the cannon fodder for the strikers. But you know, but we had uh, yeah, class, loads of great
3: lads.
2: Brilliant. Uh, David, we're gonna we're gonna move on to the word association thing now because we are rapidly running out of time. And uh, you're a great talker, time has flown by uh, So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a few things I'm going to say something And then you just give me a one word First word that comes to your mind uh, As an answer, okay So we'll start now Saipan Disaster Okay Aika Casillas.
0: Lucky <laughs> Excelsior Enjoyable.
2: Roy Keane. Class. London. Miserable. <laughs> Burnham Grammar School. Oh.
0: Um, happy. Yeah. I,
2: I, I was looking up that, David, and uh, famous illuminaries from that, that skill yourself, Tracy Ullman, Jimmy Carr. Mike Ashley and Ulrika Johnson. Uh, well, governors how I got
0: in there, you know, because I'd taken the <laughs> down and, and I was dreadful where, um, yeah, I didn't do very well. But I got in there somehow.
2: Yes. Uh, Joe Biden. Brilliant. The coronation of King Charles. <laughs>
3: nah. Meh. <laughs> oh, that'll do.
2: <laughs> Kite flying. What? Kite flying what that's our answer that's okay hurling oh he's gone he's gone we've lost David there because somebody got to put money into the meter there he is he's back (laughs) hurling brilliant and jersey dudek safe brilliant David Connolly, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, thanks very much for, for giving us your time, and uh, and hopefully we'll get you on again and talk to you again soon. Cheers, Cheers David. Brilliant, great, thanks, David. Take all the out. best. Cheers, bye-bye, David.
1: Bye-bye. Brilliant. Bye-bye.
2: So, that's all we have for this week's House of Football with uh, Sports Joe and William Hill. Thanks to my guests, Alan Cawley and David Connolly. We'll be back again next week with another show with all things football. But for now, stay safe, and we'll see you all again soon. You've been listening to House of Football, brought to you by Sports Joe and William Hill.